1: Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back, Behind the Velvet Rope. Let's just get right into it today, guys, because we are joined by the one, the only, Ms. Peaches Christ. Hello. How are you doing today? I, I'm okay, yeah. I mean, consider, I feel
0: like with 2020, it's more like, uh, are you okay? You know, Se- Seriously. Yeah.
1: And you're on the East Coast, right? Like, I mean, you're you live in San Francisco, right? But you're on the East Coast visiting your mother. Or am I just making that all up?
0: No, that's correct. I, uh, my partner and I, uh, we we were struggling with like, what are we going to do with the holidays? Do we visit family? Do we not? We didn't want to be uh, irresponsible, so we d- made the decision to uh, come here after Halloween. Um, after being COVID tested a bunch of times, flying with, you know, the visor and the mask and all of that, then quarantining here uh, so that we could be here um, through, I guess we'll probably stay through the new
1: year. That's smart. I mean, that's smart. So you get to see your mother.
0: Yeah. And, you know, with all this uh, craziness, I mean, at this point I can kind of do whatever I need to do from anywhere, because as long as I pack some some wigs and some makeup, you know, that, that can kind of, and have a Wi-Fi connection, you know, we can do it from wherever.
1: That's what I've been saying. So I'm still in New York. I was out in the OC for a minute, but mm. I have days where I'm like, I don't know why I'm in New York City. I should just pack up and go somewhere else because no one would know the difference.
0: Yeah. Really. I mean, it's it's like, who who cares? And since we've been here, we're like, well, I mean, if we want to do any sort of getaway, you know, what would be safe. So I grew up uh, spending summers in a, in a resort town called Ocean City, Maryland. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's completely empty right now and dead. So we went down there for a few nights and, you know, kind of just walked the boardwalk, the empty boardwalk and, you know, all of that. So it's kind of fun just to be in a ghost town.
1: There's there, it is. And there's something about breaking it up. Like people are like, you're in New York. Why do you want to go to the middle of nowhere? I'm like, it would break it up. That's why it's...
0: Absolutely. Yeah. We're in Groundhog Day. We're living it.
1: Where are you though on the East Coast? Like, are you in the New York area or...
0: I'm in Maryland. So okay. I grew up here in, in Maryland uh, in Annapolis, which is, you know, about 20 minutes outside of DC, kind of between DC and Baltimore.
1: And you were born Joshua Grinnell. Yes. And so what was growing up in Maryland, like, what was your childhood like? What type of child were you? (laughs) I I like to start at the beginning here. Sure,
0: sure. I mean, I was classically strange. You know, I was uh, not just queer. I guess, you know, they could tell I was queer from a really, really young age, um, according to my parents, Um, which, of course, I was oblivious. I, I was that kind of queer kid who knew that nothing about the fact that everything I did was queer. You know, um, I was into theater, I was flamboyant, I was into, you know, horror and dressing up. I, at the time, I didn't think my obsession with horror and darkness had anything to do with queerness. But now, you know, I kind of realized that a lot of us, you know, have that in common. So, you know, I was a strange kid, and I grew up in a very, um, let's see, uh sub- well, Annapolis is is known for the Naval Academy. It's historic, it's, it's very preppy. Um, I went to Catholic school, so it's, it's just very white and, you know, kind of boring and preppy. And, you know, it was sort of like, I, and I was the kid who was like putting on plays and, um, you know, I created a haunted attraction when I was like 12, 13, 14, that ended up becoming kind of a, a bigger success. And, you know, at the time, I didn't realize how supportive my parents were because I was, uh, you know, a little uh, director and a diva. And uh, But now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my mother would dress in the costume I would give her, you know, sell tickets at the ticket stand. My father would take the chain off the chainsaw and dress in the costume I made him. And, he, you know, he'd do the chainsaw finale because he was an adult. And, you know, so they were, I mean, they had a lot of acceptance around my strangeness, um, and my rebelliousness, you know, of course I, I would, you know, got really punk rock in high school and goth and, you know, dressed really. and, and of course the discovery of John Waters, uh, changed my entire life because the fact that someone was doing what he was doing and not just one person, but Mink Stole, Divine, you know, the whole crew were like in neighborhoods that my relatives lived in, you know, That changed, that put me on a different course.
1: So did you, so I mean, your parents, that's good. Like, you know, they weren't like, there's the football, go throw the football, nothing like that.
0: At first, yes. Like my, my father, you know, uh, coached uh, like our little league teams and, you know, he's very much, um, uh, uh, you know, boomer, straight male Republican.
1: CPA, <laughs> like like I was. Welcome to my father. My my okay, fa- yeah. my parents are the same. I mean, my father right. at least. My parents are divorced, but my father's very right. like Republican, straight laced.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I give him a lot of credit now because I realize, and of course, growing up and coming out and finding my chosen family, I've been able to meet a lot of people. And and also in high school, you know, I had um, like my first. Uh, really close gay friend you know he was basically thrown out of his catholic house you know it's wow. to conversion therapy so you know i didn't have that at all um and i think in a lot of ways it's what allowed me to feel like i could pursue this crazy whatever it is that i have pursued you know it, it wasn't even intentional you know it was more like do what you know they basically were like do what makes you happy and if you can get paid doing what makes you happy that's that's the dream
1: Totally. So when you were into horror and all this from a young age, was it, did you have an identity of like, I am gay and different or were you like, I'm just different because I am into all this horror and this like alternative, so to speak, for lack of a better word. Like John Waters is certainly alternative. It, in fact, yes, I identified more with that otherness
0: than I did my queerness. And I I think it's why later when I sort of came out, uh, I had a lot of rage and anger towards the Catholic Church. Uh, <laughs> hence my drag name and my show being called Midnight Mass. And, you know, there was a lot of... Um, uh, recognition that my sexuality and the repression of it and my shame around it was completely infused less so with my family upbringing and more so about what I was being taught at school and in the church. Right. Um, so I think that I didn't really recognize that my queerness was intrinsic to that other stuff, that I loved horror and darkness and the macabre and Edgar Allan Poe and John Waters, partly because I was queer.
1: And you think, and I ask this as a gay man, like you think Mm. a lot of that, because like for me growing up, like maybe I didn't really have the gay identity, but for me it was like, so I was into Madonna and Cyndi Lauper and Prince Mm. and the Go-Go's and Culture Club. So there you go. You know, so like for (laughs) me, like for me, it wasn't really the macabre, but you think the macabre in that is like a sign, like you know what I mean. You think that that kind of ties into it? Because for me it was just like the pop music and like the things like I like 90210 and you know, right, like right. I mean hello.
0: And and I liked all that stuff too. Um especially, you know, I think Madonna was, you know, um I'm I'm not sure how old you are. I'm turning 47 in January. So um I can really remember like being at a very young age when Madonna came out with her Pepsi commercial that the Catholic Church banned, you know, when she was releasing Like a Prayer. Right. And you know, from that moment on, and especially that album, that Like a Prayer album, it's like, and my mother hated Madonna. Not so much because of the sacrilege, but uh, more because, oh, I'm sorry. No. Just died. I just
1: I can hear you. I can hear you, you can perfectly. Hear yeah. Okay,
0: great. Um, but it was definitely more like, uh, from a kind of a feminist angle, you know, Madonna enraged my mother. Uh, That being said, uh, I was obsessed with her in that whole era of like a prayer and certainly blonde ambition. And by the time Truth or Dare came out, it was like, all bets were off. I mean, she had become a goddess to me. Um, Now, I didn't realize, again, and I think more so the, the, the horror stuff, if anything, and the, the cure and Depeche mode and Susie and the Banshees in some ways that sort of took the pressure off my queer, uh, what's the word? Identification I, by others because they were like, Oh, he's just fucking weird. You know? Right. He dresses in black and, you know, and so he's a weirdo, he's a Satanist or whatever. And so maybe my attraction to that stuff isn't, You know, I just really, that's just what I liked, you know? Um, But it it was, it's funny to me now, looking back on the pop music I liked and the the pop culture I liked, and I'm like, oh my God, it was all gay, you know? Yeah. I I was obsessed with Madonna and not just Madonna, but like erasure. Like I went to a Pet Shop Boys concert in high school in Washington, D.C. at American University I was 16, it was a big deal that I was allowed to drive into the district. With my 14 year old sister, who they let me bring, I had no idea what I was walking into. Imagine a Pet Shop this concert, you know, in 1989 in Washington, D.C. Like we were kids surrounded by, by the gayest of all gay men. I mean, it had to have been 99% gay men, right? Yeah. And it was like the John Waters discovery. Like my head exploded. I realized these are my people, this is what I am. That was actually, that Pet Shop Boys concert in many ways was a big awakening for me. Like, oh, oh, this is what I am.
1: Well, the Pet Shop Boys are great, as is Depeche Mode, as is Susie and the Banshee, as is The Cure. But right, like you were dressing in black and like goth and like into like a punk look, I assume. And that was just like, you were different. Yeah. And I think
0: in some ways it was protective um, because all the Heathers and, you know, jocks and stuff that kind of, you know, I had a very welcome to the dollhouse type junior high, you know, where I was definitely the sissy. Uh, But as I started to really express more of that dark stuff, like I'm obsessed with Freddy Krueger, Hellraiser, you know, all this stuff. I think they kind of drifted away from me in this, this other sissy in high school who, um, I remember watching get bullied and I felt so guilty just sort of standing by and just being kind of glad that I wasn't I wasn't the focus. I'd actually I have a lot of guilt about that to this day because they really, you know, tortured this kid. Um, I think that all the goth stuff and the horror, it kind of made them, you know, like afraid of me a little bit, you know.
1: Right. Were you bullied before that kid came about?
0: Yeah, I think we both were like, you know, because when you're in Catholic school, you kind of go to school with people your entire life, you know, it's not like you um, have a set of elementary school kid friends and then junior high friends and high school friends. It's like, oh, no, we're all together forever. Right. And I think because he transferred in for high school around ninth grade and because I was, you know, Joshua that they all knew forever the transference of bullying kind of went to him. And I have kind of a strange story about him where, you know, San Francisco, many, many years later, I ran into him at the stud, you know, and I hadn't seen him. And I mean, this was a long time ago. So it probably had been, let's see, if I went to college for four years, it probably had been like six or seven years since high school. Right. Which at the time felt like a long time. Of course, now it doesn't feel like long at all. Um, but I ran into him at the stud and I tried to apologize to him. I said, you know, you really took a lot of the, the brunt of the bullying. Like I remember them locking you in a locker and all this stuff that I had very specific memories. And they stole his shoes at one point, you know, he did, he walked around with no shoes one day. And, uh, and he was the kind of kid who I have to give credit to because he was preppy, but he would wear like pink Ralph Lauren, you know, button-up polo shirts with like a, a mint green tie. Like, like, what are you doing, right. <laughs> dude? You're like, put on a cure t-shirt and give them the middle finger. Like, you know, why wh- you're you're basically begging for it. So, in many ways, I was sort of saying to him, you were the real warrior. <laughs> you know, like you took it and like. He looked at me and he said, "I have no idea what you're talking about." Like, he wow. had no concept of. It And it was so strange, because I realized, like, oh, we're not going to have this moment that I I kind of wanted, you know. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.
1: We all get so busy in our daily lives, but I can't stress how important it is to prioritize your mental health and wellness every day. Because if your mind is clear, it allows you to accomplish everything else that you want to accomplish in your day. When you work on yourself, you start to see positive changes in all areas of your life. Talkspace has helped me with all of that, and I wholeheartedly recommend them. I can't tell you how much they've helped me with therapy. You can sign up online, you get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within only 48 hours. You can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist at any time. And it's so incredibly convenient. I mean, I don't like leaving my house, nor do I have time. You get to have virtual sessions right from the comfort of your own home. And did you know Talkspace is the number one therapy platform? They have licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, anxiety, depression, relationships, and so much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to talkspace space.com/velvet to get $100 off your first month. So don't wait till something goes wrong in your life to start working with a therapist. That's talkspace.com/velvet. So yeah, I mean
0: that was and, and since then of course more kids that were in the shadows uh, have come out of the closet. But he and I were kind of the the poster children for gay guys.
1: And it's funny that you felt guilty and he was just like what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I think today, I I think maybe it was a, because I actually went to other friends of ours, and I was like, am I imagining this? Like, did I make this up? And they said, absolutely not. I mean, he was tortured. But I think maybe it's some sort of PTSD mechanism of, he doesn't even acknowledge that life. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, I was bullied and I acknowledge it, but I've moved on. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you know, but I I see how that could work. So then you went to school, to Penn State, to study film. So it was always Mm -hmm. kind of film for you. It was. Like, I was always making,
0: uh, it was film and theater. You know, those two things have always been, like, really my driving passion. And I guess just storytelling, but through film and, and plays, um, and so I, my major in college was film production. And uh, I, I wanted to go to NYU, of course. Um,
1: yes. And I wanted
0: to get the hell out of Maryland and be in New York City. Uh, but I did, could not afford NYU. You know, We applied for financial aid and my parents, my dad, the CPA, basically sat me down and showed me what my student loans would look like. And we actually went to NYU, he and I, for orientation. And he had this sort of come-to-Jesus talk with me in New York, which was basically very smart in many ways because he he, he laid it all out financially. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had gotten a small scholarship to Penn State University, which was kind of the epitome of what I did not want. You know, Big Ten University, huge fraternity, sorority, you know. Uh, but in retrospect, I realized that that was really great for me because- I was so weird at Penn State and stood out so much and was so much more easily able to be a student leader and uh, um, a unique filmmaker. And I have a friend, a peer of mine, who would have been in college at the same time, Darren Stein, who went to NYU, who uh, has since written and directed Jawbreaker and, you know, a bunch of other cult movies. He produced uh, my first feature film. And... Darren, you know, I realize now, like, Darren was one of many of us at NYU, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas I was the only one like me at Penn State. And I think, in a way, that was a good experience.
1: That's true. I never thought about it like that. But, yes, at NYU, I imagine, and film school, there's plenty of people a little (laughs) off-center. Yeah, Yeah,
0: they know who John Waters is. Whereas at Penn State, I had to to explain that, you know, to them.
1: Well, Jawbreaker is a great movie, and Rose McGowan did great in it. Flawless. And Rebecca yeah. Gayhart. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, that whole
0: cast, Rebecca Gayhart, Julie Benz, Rose McGowan, and Judy Greer. My God, that was Judy Greer's first movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. So your
1: friend did very well.
0: Yes, he did. And uh, we, uh, it's funny, we met, you know, uh, obviously on the West Coast, but it was kind of like when we, we met, we clicked right away, like, oh my God, how have we not been friends, you know? sooner. And we've just stayed close friends for like 20 years now.
1: And then during your senior thesis in college, that's where Peaches Christ was born. <laughs> yes. So tell me about that. Well, it was, I mean, uh, kind of an accident.
0: Um, I was d- directing a movie that I co-wrote with my friend, Hal called Jizzmopper, uh, a love story. And as you can imagine, the faculty, um, did not really like, I, like, the star pupils back then, um, wanted to be Martin Scorsese, you know, like they wanted to be Brian De Palma. Like it was very straight white male. Spielberg was, you know, the hero and basic in many ways, you know, it was Penn state. And I'm not saying that people weren't talented. It's just that their references and and what was idealized was not John Waters. It wasn't queerness. It wasn't camp. Right. So Jis mopper and the way they did the, the, um, program was if you weren't meeting certain uh, requirements of film production, and we were shooting on film and sending film away to the lab to be developed and using heavy duty equipment, if you weren't meeting um, the requirements, they would dissolve your project. So the number of films that got, that started being made at the beginning of the year versus what was actually finished, what they would do is pull your team apart and then stick you in with uh, other teams so that you, you ended up going from being a director to like a camera assistant, you know? And I was like, I'm no, there's no way that Jizz Mopper is gonna be, you know, um, uh, halted. And so when the actor who was playing the drag queen character, you know, just was kind of flaky and in their defense, you know, doing drag in central Pennsylvania in the mid, you know, early 90s was not necessarily safe or comfortable for anyone. Um, I stepped in and saved the day, but the reality of it is I make it sound like I'm, you know, this, this, uh, you know, what's the word that I, I had a gun put to my head to, you know, in order to save the film, I'm guessing now that I wanted to play that part all along. So,
1: and did you, so when you stepped in, I mean, it was your project. So like, did you have like a vision, of what this person would look like, like Peaches Cried, like before, or just you made it up? I mean, I imagine it was your project you did, right?
0: Yeah, I, um, so in, in many ways, Jizzmopper uh, and the way that it went, would, would sort of forecast the next 20, probably plus, the rest of my life, because I was, uh, writing on the film, and I was, uh, directing the film, and then also I was in the film. Um, and, Uh, I don't recommend that necessarily. It's probably why so much of what I do is such a mess. You know, Uh, you know, one of the things I I think people know about me and my stage shows is that they will never be flawless. Things will go wrong. You know, (laughs) there'll be be messy. And I love collaborations. I love working with a lot of people. You know, I'm not um, a solo artist. I love that sort of craziness of community and everyone having a role you know um so with jizmopper i actually hired uh an artist friend who designed uh the look for the movie that was peaches which is not what we would see as peaches today um but at least you know it was a start and of course um the references were divine and um i mean really bozo the clown and you know it you know i really you know went for it and so the peaches drag in jizmopper is quite embarrassing uh but um you know it's where how how it all started
1: where did you and then so well when you did that and it all started were you just I mean because you were in school for film were you just like whoa like I'm now like I a part of me has been awakened like I love drag or was it like I love film and I don't know this is part of performing and maybe I'll do this again
0: so that's yeah it's um it's kind of all of that. It was sort of, um, I, well, I did improv theater in high school, which is so strange, but like we had a youth program that taught kids from all the different high schools, how to do improv theater. And you had to audition for it. And what was great for me is it opened my world and gave me peers outside of St. Mary's high school and friends who like went to public school all over the state and, we were part of this traveling improv troupe, and I loved improv. I loved doing improv. I loved learning the rules of improv. And it wasn't something that carried over for college, mostly because the School of Communications, where the uh, film program was, was not really in bed with the theater department. We were kept separate. Um, and I was a women's studies minor, and with all of that, that was about all I could handle. And um, so Being Peaches in the movie was a lot of fun, but it was when the movie was coming out on campus and there was this big film festival and I was Peaches like on campus and Peaches like at a nightclub, like a straight nightclub to promote the movie and kind of call attention to it that not only did I love the sort of controversy around it because drag was, I mean, the people who hated peaches the most back then were gay people, you know. Um, really? So, oh, yeah. It was. Drag was not popular. You know, it was um, it was, you know, it, this was a time, r- remember this is before gay marriage, um, before, you know, anyone had added the tea to any Before drag race. <laughs> oh, way before, way, right. way, way before drag race. Um, and so I, I sometimes tell the drag race queens, I'm like, oh, yes, there was a time when you know, drag was not only not popular, I mean, we were literally asked not to show up places by gay people, you know, gay pride parades, gay, you know, and I loved all that. I loved pissing off sweater gays. You know, I loved I loved uh, performing for, you know, punk rock folks. And drag at the time, especially at Penn State, was more punk than anything, especially in a movie called Jizz Mopper. So that's yes. really where it kind of awoke my my interest in performing and, and basically showed me like, oh, this is how I can do improv. I can do improv through this character.
1: That makes sense. So how did you come up with the name Peaches Christ?
0: Well, at the time, the, the guy who was shooting Gizmopper, um, Eric, who I love very much, but we butt heads a lot senior years because he was a really devout Christian. And he was someone nobody else wanted to work with because he was a crazy Christian. And he, um, how should I say this? Well, he was just talented. His camera work was great, and I needed someone that I could trust to shoot this freaking movie. Because we're at school, you know this is this is a time where people send film off to the lab. They've spent a lot of money for us, especially a lot of money and the film comes back. And if it's not shot correctly, you throw it in the trash. I mean, you don't have, you know, like it isn't video, you know, there was no fixing it. Right. Um, so it was kind of like, am I going to work with this crazy Christian or you know what? And I thought, okay, if he's willing, I'm willing. And he really had no other choice. Like Jizmopper basically got the dregs. <laughs> Like, The Leftovers. And what was great right. about being with The Leftovers was we all had something in common. Nobody wanted us. And we were rejects from the rest of the film school. So our uh, motivation, you know, was really pure. And we all had the same goal, which was to make the best movie we could. And uh, and so Eric and I would, would kind of argue in a way that I just don't think I would argue with someone today. Like, argue over the validity of, of being gay, you know? Um, and now I, I'm so grateful for that. And Eric and I have stayed friends and, you know, we, uh, we were the, we were the two who really, you know, made, made sure that that film got finished, you know, he and I sat and edited it, you know, together for hours and hours and hours. And I think together, you know, we both, as cheesy as it sounds, like we showed each other kind of the other side and I was better able to understand that level of, uh, Christian devotion and I think he was he fell in love with all my friends you know so, some of his closest friends were people he met through me that are that are crazy queer people so right that was a, a really great experience and um, and then when the movie finally did come out we won the, the award for best student film by the audience so you know
1: that must have been like for all the Scorsese's and Spielberg's in the crowd
0: I think there was a lot of, I mean, not only did they program it last and my parents came to Penn State to see it, they had a. They made a warning before it screened, you know, because whatever, there were dildos and stuff in the movie. Um, but it was very validating for all of us. And I think it probably did bother or annoy, you know, some of the other students at the time.
1: So how did the name come about? Sorry. Oh
0: God, I'm, so I'm like, sorry. wait,
1: well, no, I'm just like, wait a second. I'm like, you didn't just answer that, did you? <laughs>
0: No, I went on a tangent.
1: I'm having, which is okay. I, I don't mind tangents. I'm just like, I'm having a moment.
0: <laughs> no, it was me. Um, so at the time, I wanted to call Peaches, Peaches Christ. And Eric begged me not to. And the re- the reason I was even telling you about Eric was because that was one of the battles we had. And so if you ever see Gizmopper, you'll see Peaches Nevada, not Peaches Christ.
1: And... Remember that season of keeping up with the Kardashians when Scott Disick became a lord and he now wants us to refer to him as Lord Disick? Well, you know what? I've been obsessed with doing the same thing ever since then, and now... I found out there's actually a way. I need to tell you guys about Highland Titles. This is a company that's been running for 16 years and they can make you a Lord or lady for less than $50. The way they do this is by allowing you to buy a piece of land as little as one square foot from their Highland estate. This legitimately makes you a Scottish landowner, allowing you to claim the title of Lord or Lady. Now I'm in the process of doing this. So once it's done, you know, I'd like you to refer to me as Lord David. That was we headed into the Christmas period or for any special event such as birthdays or anniversaries by visiting Highland Titles, you can get an amazing and truly everlasting gift for your loved one. Once you've ordered your gift from Highland Titles, you or your loved one will get an official personalized certificate and a beautiful gift in the mail, access to the online dashboard where you can download your certificate, view images of the land. And if you ever visit Scotland, you can visit your very own small patch of the Scottish countryside at the Highland Titles Nature Reserve. By visiting highlandtitles.com and using the discount code velvet you get 15% off anything on the site highlandtitles.com use code velvet and get 15% off
0: what and the big argument was i wanted to own that name because i was pissed off at the catholic church and drag queens at the time were calling themselves things like Torny Anus, you know, uh, as a pe- pun on Tori Amos or suppository spelling, who's a friend of mine. Um, and I kept thinking, well, if I'm going to do a pun on a celebrity, it should be someone that's like never going to go out of vogue, that everyone will know forever. Uh, and so that's kind of where it all w- all came up. And I, I was not Peaches Christ in the movie. But when I got on that plane to go to San Francisco, I became Peaches Christ and, you know, never looked back.
1: So on that point, you settle in San Francisco, ultimately. And you're there and mm-hmm. you have this degree in film. So talk to me about how Midnight Mass started, which is like, it's just a literally, I mean, is it what I'm picturing? Like Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight and people show up dressed mm-hmm. a certain way and it's a participatory event. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. That's yeah, what I'm picturing. I mean, it, it was, you know, San Francisco in the uh, mid nineties, I moved there in 96 and there was this brand new club that had just started that I became a member of um, called Tranny Shack. Um, And this is back when the T word was not uh, a pejorative. And, you know, it was, the the cast, you know, was inclusive of trans women and drag queens and actually cis women, you know. It was very San Francisco, bearded queens, anything goes. Automatronic from the Scissor Sisters was, you know, my sister performer back then. You know, we both, she and I both, yeah, we both got our start at the same time on the same stage. And that cabaret, that show um, really launched the performing careers of a lot of us, a lot of people, and I think part of it was just being you know part of the same community and inspiring each other and so after two years of performing there with those performers, I created Midnight Mass, which was really an offshoot and part of the same community and it was to showcase my love of cinema and also my love of Rocky horror and to do something that hadn 't been done, how should I say this? I was inspired by hearing about the Coquettes. This is before the Coquettes documentary. And so the the little I knew was that they did a, a, a crazy drag show at midnight at the Palace Movie Theater before movie screenings. So I heard that and kind of made up my own version of that. Now, years later, meeting Coquettes and seeing the movie the Coquettes and studying about the Coquettes, I'm like, oh yeah, this, we were two totally different things, but born of the same spirit in a way.
1: And then that kind of took off, right? Like you didn't necessarily expect it to, or you did, but I mean, it became a big thing.
0: I didn't expect it to the way that it did. And in fact, I I was kind of oblivious to it for a while. You know, it was, it was obvious that Landmark Theaters, who uh, gave me the green light and allowed me to do it. And, 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 in their defense, they really, you know, uh, you know, kind of had to defend it in some ways because there were people, even in San Francisco, who were very bothered by it and offended by it. You know, in the first year, we would have little old ladies show up at the theater thinking they were coming to mass. You know, like at midnight. Wow. And we'd have to, you know, and they'd show up, and there's all these, you know, horror drag queens standing outside. Um, but over the years, it became kind of an institution in San Francisco, and it would sell out shows and. You know, I I look back on it now and I'm like, we broke every law in the book. I mean, we did things that you should never have been allowed to do, you know, like drag queen roller derby in the theater. You know, we had ambulances show up and take people out. You know, we, we would make the audience sign, you know, release of liability forms on their way in. And it, at the, I was so young and naive, I didn't realize how stupid a lot of it was. <laughs> so despite right. that, you know, it became successful and... uh And yeah, and then, you know, I was making short films and, you know, doing, basically it was kind of integrating all of my
1: interests. And then, so like, I know you mentioned John Waters is like a huge icon, idol of Mm -hmm. yours, someone you Mm -hmm. looked up to. So not only was he in attendance, like you had Cassandra Peterson, who's Elvira, Linda Blair, RuPaul. So like, as these people start, I mean, they were all at various degrees of their career, but like. I imagine, like, how, when John Waters attends, you're like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, some of these, (laughs) like, how does that work? Uh, Well, it was,
0: after a few years of doing the show, we kind of had the nerve to, the show evolved over the years. So what you see today in my sort of drag parody, cult movie drag parody, is definitely an evolution of what we were doing at Midnight Mass, but it would start as a sketch or a contest or, um, you know, uh, a guest, you know, speaker or something, and we would make it theatrical. And so we, we started these shows that I called Idol Worship. Um, and the, and the idea was let's, let's invite someone from the movie and, and see if they'll come. And the first person we ever, uh, asked to come was Mink Stoll, uh, the John Waters superstar. And we screened the movie Desperate Living, uh, which, you know, she's the star of. And, and that was, Early on, and Mink came and I was totally terrified and in awe of her. You know, this is someone whose dialogue I've memorized and said over and over again. And uh Mink, um not only did she and I have a real charisma together on stage and like just the 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 love of the audience I was able to kind of channel. Um, but Mink sort of just came to life and put on an, an amazing show. And when it was over, it was like, let's do that again. You know, let's work together. Let's stay in touch. And so she and I did. And then over the years, uh, I did more of those types of shows. And um, and just to backtrack a little bit, when I was a senior in college, I invited John Waters to come to Penn State to kind of prove to the administration that that kind of filmmaking was valid. Um, and I put together the grant to get him there, and he came and we met. But it wasn't until many years later after working with Mink for uh, a bunch that I got to run into him in San Francisco and say, you may not remember me, but I'm the kid who brought you to Penn State. And he said, oh yeah, how are you doing? And you and your friend moved to San Francisco. And I said, but I'm also um, a drag performer now who does a cult movie series. And he goes, you're not. And I said, "Peaches Christ. And he went, oh my God, you know, because you know, he knew about me through Mink. So I said, would you be our guest of honor at the 10-year anniversary? And he agreed. Uh, and wow. so was him, he, he was part of it. Mink was part of it. Tura Satana, the star of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, was part of it. Elvira was part of it. And so our 10-year anniversary was this big s- summer celebration. And all those people came, and they were part of it. Linda Blair. And um, and then John and I uh, kept in touch, much like Mink and I did, And before I knew it, John was inviting me over for lunch. You know, he was inviting me and my partner to his house for Christmas. And, you know, um, I've been swimming with John Waters. Like, the more normal stuff that we do together, the weirder it is for me, because I'm still a dorky fan at the end of the day. But we did become friends.
1: I was going to say, because, like, I meet so many people through this job. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. I become friends with them. And I'm like, okay, we're all humans. Are you in that? Are you there, or are you just still like at times like, uh wait, I'm with John waters <laughs> it's
0: both it's both like uh we can definitely go out and hang out and it's like catching up with a friend for sure, and I think um I think mostly that's what it is, but then,
1: like, yeah,
0: like we went. Like, I, for whatever reason, you know, I, I, did, I spent a few summers in Provincetown doing shows, and John spends his summers in Provincetown. And so we got to spend a lot of time in Provincetown together. And it was sort of like, the more normal it became to hang out with him regularly and to do things and like go to the beach together, um, that's where I would get even more weirded out by it. Like, oh, this is weird. Like, I'm, I'm really, really his friend. Like, you know, and so the, the, the kid in me would sort of be pinching myself.
1: Right. That makes sense. Like for me, it's like when I'm hanging out with certain people, they're your friends. And then like when someone's comes up and wants a picture, you're like, I I get it. And Oh yeah. yeah, Like this person is like a big deal, but I forgot it now because you're just like friends and I'm annoyed with you today, by the way, but I get (laughs) that these people want. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, that is. Well, what about RuPaul? Like what was RuPaul like? How did RuPaul get involved?
0: Uh. So uh Rue and I had met and she um was lovely and sweet and um you know and, and active on Twitter. This was in the early days of Twitter. And so she and I would um tweet and she was very generous with me, you know. And I, again drag may not have been popular when I started, but there was someone who was popular, the only person who was popular. Like this this RuPaul Hayday. Yeah. Is like her third coming, you know. Like RuPaul became super, super famous in the early '90s, like in '92, you know, with Supermodel. And I think for me, watching um, a black drag queen, you know, become a household name and on MTV and you know, hanging out with Nirvana, I mean, that was. I was such a fan of hers. I was such a fan of what she did, and such a fan of Lady Bunny, you know. And when, when the Wigstock movie came out, the documentary, it's like that whole group of queens, like, I just worshipped them because, you know, they had done so much at that time. And uh, so when Rue made a movie called Star Booty, years later, uh, a very much uh, a throwback movie for her, because Star Booty was a character she did sort of before the supermodel character. Um, And it's, it's, it's a, real uh, homage to the films of Pam Greer, the sort of black blaxploitation uh, films like Coffee and Foxy Brown. Uh, she had this character that she did a, a, a feature film for called Star Booty, which I encourage everyone to see. It is garbage in the best possible way. You know, Lady Bunny, there's it's just it's kind of shocking like there's full blown erections in the movie like not prosthetic penises these are porn stars like it's very audacious and rue had uh, asked me uh about we basically went back and forth where i wanted to do a tribute to her and it made sense to do the tribute with the film star booty and so that's what we did at midnight mass we did like a, a black exploitation night and rue came and we did a pre-show together, and then we screened the movie Star Booty. And she was lovely. And she, at that time, on stage in the interview, announced that she was going to be doing a drag parody of Tyra Banks' Top Model. She said it's going to be like Top Model and Project Runway kind of fused together, but with, you know, for drag queens. And I remember thinking like, nah, that'll never work. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Because, you know, I mean, it, like, I didn't, at the time, I, people don't know this, but Logo made it very clear that they were not interested in drag. They did not want drag, you know. So it took kind of RuPaul to, to break that wall down for everybody.
1: So RuPaul announced Drag Race at your Midnight Mass. Yeah, I mean,
0: she probably was already talking about it, you know, publicly. In fact, they were starting to roll out online auditions the way they did it in the early days was uh, basically everyone auditioned kind of publicly and was sort of upvoted onto the show. You, you, you know you, you uh, could actually kind of watch the contestants and their audition tapes roll in if I'm, if memory serves. And so that had, that had just started. So she, in a way, she was kind of just saying, "Hey, you can audition for this show. Go to this website."
1: Well, she announced it there, so that's amazing. Yeah. What about so VH1 didn't want drag; they were very vocal about that back in the day. Well, it was
0: even bef- before VH1. I mean, had dra- logo, drag- yes. yeah. Logo, Sorry, logo. logo. Um, w- which was you know disappointing because uh you know it was it was purportedly the queer network, um, but the idea was that drag was something they weren't interested in, and at the time it was a pretty what's the word, it was a show business secret that was well known amongst show business people. Now I think it's a little more out in the open because the story of Drag Race includes the fact that Logo was pretty anti-drag. But at the time, you know, if you were in show business and you were successful at all, then you were tapped into at least some queen that worked at Logo. And uh, we all had a friend who, you know, had a foot in the door there. And it was pretty well known that the powers that be had no interest in drag.
1: So we were pitching,
0: all of us were pitching stuff, but you know, none of it got made.
1: Are you shocked at, well, first of all, are you shocked at like how big RuPaul is? How big Drag Race has become from, like you said, a network that started Logo, the Queer Network, didn't even want drag. Like, are you shocked at how big this thing has become?
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, I, I'm, I'm shocked by a lot of things that have happened in my lifetime that I didn't expect, you know, uh, some good, some bad. Um, and the, the popularity of drag, uh, is not something I would have forecast at all. I remember going to the first drag con and they they were lovely. World of Wonder has always been, um, super generous with me and, included me in so much and been so lovely and they really made a point of especially with the first drag con putting myself and lady bunny and coca peru kind of in the first paragraph of their you know announcement about it because i think they did not want it to be drag race con um, which is hard for it not to be that, but the, to their credit, they went out of their way to make sure that all of drag was sort of included.
1: And oh wow, it, I didn't even know that. So they mentioned you and Lady Bunny and Coco Peru.
0: Yeah, and oh, the first good. in the first drag con, were very featured. Um, and uh, I remember being there with Coco and walking around, and she and I kind of looking at each other like, "What the fuck is happening? Like, what is this?" Because that's when it really and I had already been doing shows with RuPaul girls, you know. I knew what their um, marquee value was, but somehow DragCon, <laughs> the idea of a drag convention of that size, that really blew me away.
1: Not yeah, size and like okay, like you know, there's Trinity the Talk and there's the line and ka-ching, ka-ching yeah. for every yeah. picture Miss Talk is taking. It's yeah. a big thing now.
0: Yeah, and it was when that drag uh, DragCon happened. It must've been um, more recently after season four because I remember the line for Latrice and I remember how they did not, they were not, it was the first DragCon, so they were not prepared to handle what was happening. They did not anticipate what was going to happen, which was all of us who weren't on Drag Race had, you know, modest lines, let's say, you (laughs) Um, you know, at least speaking. And then someone like Latrice. And even some of the season four girls had very modest lines or no lines, you know? But mm-hmm. then there were those, there was the Latrice, the Sharon Needles, the, you know, where where the, the, the I mean, there were kids who waited in line to meet Latrice for hours and hours, yeah. you know? And to get a hug from her. And I have to say, I loved seeing that. And I'm glad that I've lived through all these different kind of eras of drag, you know?
1: And, like, are you shocked? Because, like, right, like, listen, we have a long way to go. But, yes, like, back in the day, the people didn't want the the drag queens. Like, sexually, you know, it was mask for mask. And, you know, the drag queens had their place. But, like, a lot of bars didn't want them. And now they're welcome. Everyone wants to date one. And, (laughs) like, these, I mean, like Trinity, the talk, like if you look or Edie oddly, there's like one point something million followers. So yeah. are you ever shocked at how, like for lack of a better word, it's as mainstream as it's ever been.
0: Yeah. I'm still, it's still bizarre to me. And, um and I definitely have benefited uh from the success of it. You know, certainly um having friends, uh, some some of the queens I knew before they went on the show, like Bob, uh, I, I was, Bob was actually in one of my shows before, you know, Bob went on Drag Race, and I knew Bianca. Bianca, in many ways, is more of a peer to myself and Varla, Coco, Jackie, because we yeah. all knew Bianca Del Rio. Bianca was, you know, one of, I mean, Bianca's only a year younger than I am. So we all grew up together. And I would say Bianca is the only one of the sort of quote unquote legends besides Chad Michaels, but, you know, uh, who who we were familiar with that went on the show. And, you know, she was Bianca Del Rio that people knew. And now she's Bianca Del Rio who sells out, you know, Wembley and has 2.3 million followers on instagram like it is surreal it's bizarre but bianca herself has not changed (laughs) like you know right she's doing the same stuff she did then it's just you know it's just been exposed to a lot of much bigger audience
1: well i live in new york city so i was going to the intermezzo brunch with miss bianca del rio right but when she got drag race there was this buzz around new york of like she won i mean it wasn't right like out there it was like episode one and all around new york city people were like no she actually wins the season so i don't know if that was just like because she's great or something but like it was like oh no bianca's gonna win so yeah, yeah. it's a little strange right
0: yeah 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 i mean it, it, it's surreal and uh, and ben de la Creme i worked with before she went on drag race so jinx i knew before she went on drag race so there's i have to say i'm friends with a lot of winners
1: Thanks for tuning in to our part one sit down with legendary drag performer Peaches Christ. And stay tuned for part two. It's totally different. Talk about showgirls. You remember that shitstorm of a movie? Did they know it was a shitstorm? Peaches has been researching and performing a live version of showgirls forever. We talk Elizabeth Berkeley, showgirls, Saved by the Bell Reunion. We compare these movies that are so bad you can't look away to does that sound familiar reality tv stay tuned for part two of our sit down with peaches christ thanks for listening to yet another episode of behind the velvet rope because without you listeners i would just be a crazy person with voices in my head and if you like what you hear